0: What works and what doesn't. Understanding what works. What works for me.
1: Understanding your own business to know what works.
0: What works for you.
1: This is What Works. Toward the end of 2020, I started to hear murmurs of something I'd come to learn was called ambiguous loss. Of course, 2020 was full of loss and grief. There were goals, events, and of course people who were no longer with us. But there was also an amorphous, chronic type of grief that set in. The murmurs spoke softly of pain and exhaustion that couldn't be attributed to any one particular loss. I'm Tara McMullen, and this is What Works, the show that explores entrepreneurship for humans through big questions and practical conversations. In 1999, Pauline Boss coined the term ambiguous loss for exactly this kind of feeling. And in a conversation with Krista Tippett, Boss said, quote, We like to solve problems. We're not comfortable with unanswered questions. And this is full of unanswered questions. These are losses that are minus facts. For me, the ambiguous loss of the last two years has been felt as a sort of ongoing liminality. I've felt stuck between the life, goals, and identities that were part of my pre-2020 life and the next life, goals, and identity that have yet to take form. And while this is my sense of a personal ambiguous loss, I think it also mirrors the ambiguous loss we've faced as a society. As the pandemic has worn on and social change has stagnated, we keep catching glimpses of what might be on the other side but the promises that it'll be over soon have become even harder to believe. We're stuck between our pre-2020 world and the world that has yet to come into focus. Grief in general and ambiguous loss in particular might seem like an odd topic for a business podcast, but it was the conversations with small business owners that made me realize how important talking about grief is for us. Business owners like us go through all sorts of experiences that can bring on a sense of loss or grief. The failed launch, a canceled event, the lost opportunity, an unmet goal, the loss of a team member, or the end of a working relationship. But our natural optimism as entrepreneurs, as well as a culture that doesn't make much room for grief, means that we rarely pause to observe and process the transition. So, last December, we decided to devote this December to letting go, processing grief, and beginning again. At the end of last year, this topic felt urgent. But now, this topic feels timely. While I think we're all still feeling deep uncertainty about what's next, we have a little distance from the onslaught of fear. I've talked to a bunch of people who finally feel like they have the capacity to make a decision about moving on and process what that means for them. Today, I want you to meet Charlene Lamb, a creative grief worker, as well as a business mentor, content marketing strategist, and curator. She's the creator of the Grief Gallery and Grief Grit Grace, where she writes, speaks, and curates exhibitions that help people process their grief. Charlene and I talk about what grief is and how we process it, as well as how grief shows up for us as business owners and what we can do to let go of what was and begin again with a new vision. Charlene Lamb, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today.
0: I'm so excited to be here.
1: And I am so excited for this conversation. I know I'm going to learn a lot today and that is always exciting. And I think this is a really important conversation for business owners as humans and also as people who are shepherding businesses through different phases, different seasons. Um, and, and different chapters where they're letting go of things, starting over again. Um, so let's just dive right into it. First and foremost, I would love to know how did you become a grief curator?
0: I kind of talk about my work in a number of different ways. Grief curator for certain audiences makes sense, and they get intrigued. Other people look at that and say, nope, I don't want to talk about the grief part, and I don't know what a curator does, and they go Mm -hmm. running. Um, So Sometimes I'll start off by saying that I'm a grief guide Mm. in that I think it's important that people do have guides. And and I say guide because it, everyone's on, going to be on their own journey after they mm-hmm. lose a loved one or when they're going through a transition. So I'm not going to do that walk for you, right? As a guide, mm-hmm. I'm saying, okay, I'm just going to share my journey. I'm going to share what I learned, give you a heads up about some of the things that are coming up. And if you want, I'll walk beside you. So sometimes I'll say grief guide, but for the curator part, the backstory behind it is when my mother died, and this is almost nine years ago in early 2013, uh, I was working as an independent curator in London. So I was putting on exhibitions that featured the work of artists and designers and makers doing these pop-up exhibitions that showed their work. And in the years After my mom died, and also in the immediate aftermath, I really found myself leaning into that curator and creative background in order to Mm. get myself through that process, that practical and emotional aftermath, which actually did include doing an exhibition about my mother, Mm. specifically incorporating the things from her house, all of her belongings that I had to sort through. So I've continued to do those exhibitions. My grief work doesn't necessarily look like grief coaching as people kind of imagine it. Um, mm-hmm. So the exhibitions are a very important, let's say, manifestation of that. So I'm the curator of the Grief Gallery, which is an online gallery, and also sometimes a physical gallery. So we do exhibitions that explore grief and loss through this lens of art and design.
1: That's fascinating. <laughs> what does... So when you are working with someone as a grief guide, what does that work look like? How how does that sort of partnership come into being and how do you kind of guide people through that process? Yeah. Well,
0: it's all informed by my background, um, which I think as many people in the What Works Network um, and who listen to this podcast have likely found is that our work is informed by all the different versions of us from before. Mm-hmm. So I started off wanting to be a journalist and also potentially a librarian. And then the dot-com boom happened while I was in college and I started doing content creation. Um, But journalism and that aspect of asking questions and wanting to know people's stories has always been at the heart of what I do. Whether it's as a content strategist, whether it's as a marketing consultant, And now in my work as a grief guide or even a creative grief guide, I start off with sharing my story just to kind of give people a little bit of context and to see if they kind of get and like that aspect, that creative approach that I take. And when I share my story and the stories about my mom, it's really an invitation for the person to share their story. I want to hear about their loved one. I want to hear about what challenges they're experiencing. I want to hear about their memories, the good and the bad. I want them to be able to talk without worrying about hurting my feelings or upsetting me, which I think is so important when someone is going through grief after the loss of a loved one. Um, It can be a very isolating experience. And then I have a creative framework that I built um, based on my own practice and based on my own experience, and also informed by some of the principles of cognitive behavior therapy. Um, I'm not a trained medical professional, I'm a certified life coach, and I'm doing additional grief training. But what I find happens is well, when you experience this kind of major loss, you instinctively call on the resources you have. Mm -hmm. So when I lost my mother, I called on my resources as a curator, as a creative, but also as someone who has had a lot of therapy for my anxiety. Um, I leaned on life coaching principles and eventually did get certified as a life coach to better understand those principles and how to hold space for other people as well as holding space for myself in a better way. Mm. So I can talk a little bit more about that creative framework or like... That's exactly
1: what I was (laughs) going to ask about. So that would be great.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Because yeah, it can get all kinds of squirly and concepts. So the specific story that really kind of launched my work as a grief curator was when I found myself in my mom's house after she died. And when she died, she was living in New York I was living in London, and she had built her dream house, which was 3,000 square feet oh by heart. a lake, views of swans, and it had all this stuff in it. <laughs> and She wasn't a hoarder, but she did love to shop, and she mm-hmm. had achieved the American dream, and it was a house full of stuff that I had to sort through. I had to sell the house, and I found this task really almost impossible because everything that she owned suddenly became really precious. Mm -hmm. You know, that McDonald's toy, that rock that she picked up on holiday just seemed so significant, so imbued with meaning because my mom had chosen it. Um, So what I did was I put on my curator hat and I said, okay, uh, if I'm to do an exhibition about my mother, which 100 objects would I choose? And that question about if I was to do an exhibition about my mother, which 100 objects would I choose? That was what started everything. One, it helped me actually clear out the house, figure out which objects to keep, which objects I could let go of. And two, it evolved into this framework where when you take a step back and ask that question of what does a curator even do, mm-hmm. right? On a basic level, we look at everything that's possible. We might have a custodianship over a collection. And then we choose. I broke it down into three steps of collect, curate, and create. So when I was doing exhibitions featuring designers and makers, I would collect in that I would look at all the possible things that I could display for a particular exhibition. And then I would curate looking at everything. What did I want to choose in order to create the exhibition or the experience that I wanted to present? And then I would create it. So I think it's taking that step of saying, okay, Actually, you don't need to work in a museum to be a curator. If we think of a curator as just someone who maybe has ownership of a collection of things and then makes careful choices, chooses with consideration and intention, everyone can be a curator. I believe that everyone is a curator in many respects after a loved one dies. Mm -hmm. You might have ownership of the objects and the belongings. You might have to be dealing with paperwork. But the most important part is that you now have ownership of memories and stories. And at every step, we get to make decisions and choices. So I use that framework of collect, curate, and create to help walk people through those questions. Let's look at everything we've got. What choices do we want to make? Why do we want to make these choices based
1: on what we want to create? Mm-hmm. Can you say more about the the create step? I get collect, mm-hmm. I get curate, um, but I think it is this this uh, creation step that is what fascinates me about the the job, the role of a curator. It's it's what are you creating out of these things that you've chosen? Um, and I would just love to hear more about your perspective on that piece of of the job of curating.
0: So when I say create, I'm actually talking about it on multiple levels. For my personal experience after my mom died, the first thing I created was not actually her exhibition. It wasn't even her memorial. It was her urn. Mm. When I was working with designers and makers in London, I was curating exhibitions that featured their work, but I would also commission work from them. So a month after my mother died, I got in touch with a ceramicist based in East London. I had shown her work for years and I said, hey, this is not the collaboration I wanted to do with you, but can I commission a porcelain urn for my mom's ashes? And I'm so glad that I trusted my instincts to do that. Mm. That process of sitting down with her in her studio and talking through what I wanted for my mom's urn. Why I wanted it to be able to hold flowers as well as her ashes, because my mom loved flowers, was so healing. And I think I've, I feel like I've been very lucky in my own experience with grief, I think, which is part of why I want to make it easier for other people, because I do feel I have been very lucky in many ways. I didn't know that that ceramicist had actually lost her mother a decade ago. Oh my. So as we sat side by side, she also really generously shared her experience of losing her mother and kind of validated the feelings and the thoughts and the questions that I had. And looking back now, I think having that validation of grief, especially in the early stages, is so valuable and so important. Having someone say, your confusion, your sadness, even your numbness is totally normal. That also gave me, I think, permission to just experience grief in the way that I needed to. And I think that's very much what drives me to do my work with grief, to tell other people, you can grieve in any, which way you want. You don't have to add additional pain to the necessary pain of losing someone by judging your response. And that there are practical and accessible ways to make this process easier.
1: I love that. Let's back way, way, way up. (laughs) There's so much there. There's so so much there. And I want to get back to the specific work that you do and why you do it and how you do it and also how it applies in our businesses. And I think it might be really important at this point in the conversation to just kind of define our terms. Yeah. What are we talking about when we're talking about grief?
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not going to do the Merriam-Webster dictionary thing.
1: No, that's fine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My approach to grief very much does come from the experience of losing my mom. So most people think of grief as in death, in losing someone, in losing a loved one. But I think grief is really what we experience after any loss of something that meant something to us, something that was important to us, and especially... In the times that we're in, um, during a pandemic with lots of loss of life, whether it's personal or whether it's on a global scale, it's so important that we talk about grief and loss. Because yes, there's death, but we've had so many other losses, whether it's loss of jobs, loss of identity, loss of friendships, loss of rituals, just loss of even the small things right? I think that first year of the pandemic, when we thought about the people in high school, who wouldn't get to go to prom, who wouldn't be able to graduate with those kind of rites of passage that we all kind of expect to have. It's really important to acknowledge all that. I think as entrepreneurs, some of us have had to pivot. Some of us had really exciting projects that we were looking forward to. Some of us were really excited to do in-person events, maybe we had speaking engagements, maybe this was the year that we were going to launch our own event. Some of that just got dashed. And interestingly, because the pandemic has dragged on and on, I think we've had to experience that loss sometimes over and over, Mm -hmm. retaining hope and losing it again, thinking maybe now losing that chance again being a little afraid to hope because we don't know. So I think there's so much loss on so many levels. Um, And so when I say grief, it is acknowledging and allowing ourselves to feel and process all of those different kinds of loss.
1: You'll hear about what happens when we don't process our feelings of grief in just a minute. But first, a word from our What Works partner. What Works is brought to you by Mighty Networks. Now, the so-called creator economy has been getting some serious attention lately. Traditional media are confounded by people creating content, building audiences, and making money online. But... What's really going on here? Is it the viral TikTok stars and Instagram influencers that have it all figured out? Do you have to amass millions of followers to make it in the creator economy? Mighty Networks wanted to find out. So they hired an independent research firm to study the creator economy. And what they found is completely counter the mass media narrative and probably quite familiar to you as a listener of What Works. In short, the creators who are thriving today own their platforms, niche down to hyper-specific audiences, invest in community, and create their own network effects. And the biggest non-surprise? People are making the same amount of money with direct sales to as few as 30 customers that the stars are making with 100,000 followers or 2 million views. Want to learn more? go to newcreatormanifesto.com. That's newcreatormanifesto.com. What happens if we don't grieve? What happens if we don't acknowledge that loss? Um, I think, you know, your point about the pandemic just move, you know, dragging on and on, I think is so spot on in terms of, Our difficulties with processing what's happened, uh, in our worlds, in our businesses. And I, I would imagine that it may be one of the reasons that we're starting to see so many people either completely jump ship here at the end of this year or completely pivot or, you know, quit the internet. You know, I've seen all sorts of things. Um, and yeah, so I'm just, I'm curious, you know, what do you see happen? Or what does the research say on what happens when we don't take the time to acknowledge that grief and process what we've gone through or what we are going through?
0: Yeah, there have been a lot of articles and experts noting that prolonged grief disorder might be something that we really have to keep an eye on, that it's Mm -hmm. going to be a public health issue um, because the pandemic has kept people from really grieving and mourning. And when we say mourning, that includes like the rituals that we naturally go through and experience when we are processing grief. So with the loss of a loved one, that meant people couldn't have funerals. Memorials had to be delayed. Even when there were memorials or funerals, the number of people had to be limited. I've heard someone say, Even when we got together, we couldn't hug each other. So we didn't even have that basic human need to touch. So having the pandemic get in the way of that, I think there's also the aspect of there were so many things that we had to handle at the same time. Mm -hmm. We're trying to figure out how to keep our kids safe and how to homeschool them. We're trying to figure out how to keep ourselves safe. We're trying to figure out how to work remotely and we're supposed to be able to deal with loss on so many levels. I think this is something that happened even before the pandemic, where when I lost my mother, I was lucky enough to be able to take time off because I worked for myself, mm-hmm. to be able to take care of her house, to be able to take care of the estate. I was flying back and forth between London, and New York for the next couple of years after she died to take care of all that. How are people who have full time jobs, who have a lot of commitments, supposed to handle all that? And that's in normal times, or pre pandemic times, rather, how are people supposed to do that kind of necessary dealing with the practical and emotional aftermath, when we're still actively dealing with a crisis? It's that aspect of the pandemic and experiencing grief during the pandemic that may lead to prolonged grief disorder in which you don't have the opportunity to process grief in a healthy way. So you never process it. Um, caveat, I'm not an expert on this. When we think about what I do versus what a grief therapist would do, there is an aspect of processing grief in a natural way that is just healthy And then there's a point where you're going to need a professional. I would say that doesn't mean that you don't want to start with a therapist right away. I love therapy. I have a (laughs) therapist. I have a life coach. I am all for it. What people may find is there's that line between functioning and not functioning.
1: Got it. Okay. I want to shift the conversation a little bit to grief as business owners this is something we first started to talk about. Shannon and I first started to talk about this conversation last December. Um, because it was clear that part of the looking back on 2020 and looking forward to 2021 was a, an experience of either grief or something that looked like grief uh, for all the reasons that you had said earlier, you know, whether it was canceled events or canceled opportunities or clients that uh, had to back out of contracts or a complete pivot, even if it was some, into something really exciting, you know, people were still grieving what they had had before. Um, and so it's, you know, this has just been something that I've been kind of noodling on for the last year. And here we are again, you know, we're recording this in early November, and I'm starting to see the same kind of feelings bubble up, um, again. And so I'd love to hear from your perspective in something that seems as sort of maybe detached as a business, you know, it's not us, it's not our personal experience necessarily, what what role does grief play? What role does letting go play and processing play in how we manage our businesses?
0: So I write and speak about grief under the name grief, grit, grace, because I do think it's really important to have this balance of grit and grace when you're dealing with grief. And the way this comes into business is there's this idea that Oh, okay. I'm competent. I will just deal with it. I will pivot. I can adjust my business and I will just move forward either because I need to pay the bills or because I'm just really good at this. And the analogy that I use is of packing and unpacking that if you thought your business in 2020 or in 2021, or who knows going into 2022 was going to look a certain way, you probably prepared in a certain way you packed your virtual bags with certain tools with certain ideas with a certain mindset with certain expectations and say you're planning to go on a trip right you're going on a tropical holiday how you pack for that tropical holiday is going to be very different than how you pack for a skiing vacation (laughs) so it's that same way with our businesses If we thought that our businesses were going to be full of in-person events, we packed our mental bags, our business bags, preparing for that scenario. So we can't really pivot to something else without taking that time to unpack the bags for the Mm -hmm. scenario we had prepared for, both because you need to make room for what things actually do look like moving forward, but also because The things that you don't need are going to weigh you down. That snorkel, you're not going to want it on your ski vacation. And I think looking at it that way is a practical approach to saying, oh yeah, of course, I need to take that time, take that pause, do the unpacking, do the new preparation, but also acknowledge, okay, the ski vacation, maybe I'm excited about it. Let's see how it goes but also acknowledge the disappointment about how you thought things were going to go. And in some ways, I like this analogy because it just feels lighter and just practical and accessible, which I think is somewhat of what's missing when we talk about grief, whether it's for death or loss of a relationship or changes in business, it can feel really heavy, it can feel Mm -hmm. really theoretical And I really want people to know that there are practical and accessible approaches to dealing with these messy situations and these messy human emotions.
1: Well, I thought that from the moment you had uh, kind of posed that question of like, which hundred objects would you choose? It felt so accessible, so practical, so um, just tangible you know, and it's. I often have a a real challenge with processing emotions, even recognizing that I'm feeling a particular way. But an exercise like that feels deeply kind of. I'm going to use the word satisfying because it feel it, it to me. It right now it feels like the right word, um, even though it might be a little odd. But it 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 seems like. Okay. I'm going to get somewhere by doing this. I can feel like I'm making forward progress. I might not get to the end of it, of course, but I'm going to get, I'm going to move through this, you know, object by object. And I love the idea of packing and unpacking for those transitions in our businesses and our careers as well. Um, for the same reason it feels like I am going to go through this process tangibly. Um, and I'm going to get somewhere with it. And, and like you said, there might still be disappointment. There could, and at the same time, there can be excitement for moving forward, but you're experiencing that in this very tangible way. So. I really appreciate that analogy. I think it's fantastic.
0: We love a framework, right?
1: (laughs) So love a framework. (laughs) So love a framework. Um, I am going to be applying both of these frameworks ASAP.
0: (laughs) Frameworks and tools, they are out there. And I think that's what I find astonishing. The loss on so many levels is such an essential part of the human experience. We live, we die, we will lose everything we love at some point. Everyone who lives will die. And yet, we're given no coping tools. We don't talk about it. So, understanding that there are frameworks, there are tools. And what I've been doing recently is doing a lot of research. When we did our Clifton Strengths, input was one of my top strengths. So, mm. doing research with the idea that it might be applicable to myself and to others. So I've been doing a lot of research, and it's been interesting to find how what I did instinctively as a curator and as a creative actually has some basis and correlation to modern grief theory. And that's been really interesting. And again, kind of validating, um, I think, with the What Works Network and with people who listen to this podcast, we tend to be people who want to understand what's happening What happened? What do I do now? And there are models, there are tools, there are frameworks that people offer. It's just not necessarily accessible to most of the general audience.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're doing an amazing job making it accessible (laughs) to a general audience. And I think one of the the questions that it doesn't really fit in the stream of the conversation that we've had so far, but one that I'm really, really curious about. And I think is, is important to probably a lot of people who are listening is I would love to hear about how you care for yourself. As someone who is caring for grieving people, I mean that sounds heavy <laughs> to me. Um, and you, you, you know, earlier you you started to talk a little bit about that, um, but man, it just feels impossible to me. <laughs> and I would love to know how you manage it,
0: right? Because there's the topic, and then there's the business design. How do you approach that? And right now, how I work with grief looks like speaking about grief writing about it, creating content, and putting on these exhibitions, usually mm-hmm. during design festivals, because that's my background, working with design festivals and design brands. So that made sense for me to lean into that part. And to take your advice to borrow audience, which <laughs> has worked really well, because I already had that audience and that network in the design festival kind of arena. Mm-hmm. And also they knew they spoke my language. But in terms of figuring out how exactly I wanted to work with grief, oh, I got so much coaching on this the last couple of years, because I didn't want to do grief coaching in the way that most people imagine it. I didn't necessarily want to be working one-to-one with individuals, sitting on Zoom, doing sessions. I wanted it to incorporate exhibitions and artwork and commissioning work from makers I wanted to figure out how to bring that all together. So right now, the way I approach it is in a couple of different ways. One, I'm focusing on the speaking and content creating and the exhibitions. Down the line, there will be training and workshops, potentially working with individuals. But for now, I want to stay at a certain level in my approach and not try to Mm -hmm. do it all. The other way that I'm thinking of it is, how to design my life with seasons. Mm -hmm. So I see my grief work having certain seasons where I focus on that. Maybe that looks like doing retreats or workshops at certain times of the year where people need the most support. But that also means that I can take seasons off to recharge. When I really felt called to pivot to focusing on working with grief, that was one of my big big concerns do i have to be talking about death all the time do i have to be thinking about grief all the time is that what i want to do for the rest of my life that felt heavy that Mm -hmm. felt like a huge commitment like i was going to become a nun and that's not what i wanted to do i'm an introvert i know i need times off i knew that i couldn't have a membership that was year long, for instance, and Mm -hmm. feel the need to be on all the time to support people. So I'm building my business in the way that I've learned, well, from you, and how I built my content strategy business of acknowledging, okay, this is what works for me, speaking, getting referrals, showing people what I do. During exhibitions and during design festivals, so I'm translating all that I've learned from building that business into building my
1: grief business. That makes a ton of sense. and i I really appreciate the um, reminder that we don't have to do it the obvious way or the way that it seems like we should do it. Um I've been revisiting some content from earlier this year this week. and one of the posts that I made that I came back to um, was about, You know it's we can adapt our businesses instead of adapting ourselves and i think what you've just explained is a perfect encapsulation of that that you know when you say grief coach grief worker you imagine someone you know sitting there holding someone's hand moving through that grief process with them one-on-one and as you said maybe that work will look like that at some point or that'll be part of, of how you learn more about this about How you do what you do, but it doesn't have to look like that. And there are other ways to form it, especially keeping in mind your capacity, your skills, your strengths, the resources that you bring to the table. So I really appreciate that. Um, As we start to wrap up here, the theme that we're holding for this month is sort of two-sided. Uh, we were originally thinking the theme is letting go, and we also realized that we wanted to talk about beginning again. Um, so we're gonna kind of hold those both at the same time, cause they're, you know, it's kind of two sides of the same coin, right? How does grieving and, and the process of grief help us to begin again?
0: So I want to share one of the modern grief theories that I find really exciting. And I think you'll enjoy this research aspect of it. Um, But traditional models of thinking about grief have thought of it as stages. Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, for instance. And grief expert David Kessler, he's recently added on a sixth stage, which is finding Mm -hmm. meaning, Mm. which I interpret as creating meaning. And which aligns very well with my creative work. But there are actually a lot of different models for grief. And there's been a lot of work and understanding in the last 20 years. And it's been interesting to learn about them because I love to do research and realize, oh, one theory is about meaning making, which is about creating your own narrative after loss and after a time of transition. So making your own meaning. And making meaning can be through practical ways. It can be creative ways. But the model that I'm really excited about right now is called the dual process model. Instead of assuming that grief, loss, transition, change, instead of assuming that that's linear and that there are actual stages that we go through and once we're done, check. Okay, we've moved forward on the board. We're closer to our goal of being okay. Okay it's a dual process model in which we go back and forth between focusing on the loss and focusing on the recovery and that it's normal and it's expected and it's healthy to go back and forth to oscillate between looking back and looking forward. And I love this dual process model because again, it seems so relevant. It seems so practical, so accessible And it really reflected my own experience after my mom died. I was literally going back and forth, crossing the Atlantic between her empty house in New York and my life in London, looking at the loss, processing her things, dealing with the paperwork, trying to figure out my work, trying to figure out how to continue with what I had been building with my own life. So there will be this back and forth. And I think when we're doing this transition with our businesses, with our identities, with our lives, expecting this back and forth, sometimes we will be sad. Sometimes we will be excited. Sometimes we are going to feel like, oh, we are totally done with that client. We are totally done with that business. High five. And then the next week, lots of FOMO. Did I make that right decision? In that's totally normal. So I think this particular model is really, really relevant to how entrepreneurs can approach change for their lives and their businesses.
1: I really appreciate that. (laughs) Charlene, what are you excited about right now?
0: I'm really excited that we are talking about this topic. I'm excited that there are grief conferences and events happening in the US, in the UK, and it's a necessary conversation And I'm personally excited because how I'm approaching grief is resonating with people. Um, I just started a design residency that I applied for and got accepted into. And I'll be presenting the grief gallery at a design festival in Toronto early next year. So it's even more opportunity to get in front of people to make grief visible to, if people want to, make loss beautiful and to show people that there are all these different ways to look at grief and loss and to show them how to do it creatively if they want to, that they have that option.
1: Charlene, thank you so much for this incredibly important conversation, for sharing your process with us and and the frameworks and for making grief feel normal and accessible and really showing us how important it is to finding our path forward. So thank you so much.
0: Thank you for inviting me for this conversation.
1: This is a time of year when we're invited to look back, to do a sort of post-mortem on what we've accomplished, where we fell short, and what changes we want to make as we head into a new year. And I think this is a really important end-of-year ritual. And it's also a ritual that can bring up a lot of uncomfortable feelings, whether you've hit the ball out of the park over and over again, or had to redraw your plans several times. One of those feelings is almost inevitably grief. It's rare, at least for me and most of the business owners I talk with, to get through a full year without losing something or someone that's important to you. Even if your business had a great year, there's a good chance something fell by the wayside. As I've talked with business owners over the years, I've noticed a pattern. When they've missed a goal or experienced a loss in their business, they adjust future goals because they feel like they haven't earned a higher goal or even a new idea. There's something about this pattern that makes me think about grief and how it can influence us in ways we don't expect, especially when we haven't acknowledged it or processed it. So as we close out this conversation, I invite you to consider any losses or changes in plans you made this year. Have you acknowledged your feelings about those situations? Have you taken time to unpack from your preparation for those plans? And are you allowing those situations to have an undue influence on how you plan for next year? Find out more about Charlene Lamb and her creative grief work at griefgritgrace.com. Next week I have a conversation with Tamara Darden, the founder of Darden Creative, about the decision to shut down her business and then the evolution of that decision. What works is produced by Yellowhouse Media. Our production coordinator is Lou Blazer, our production assistant is Emily Kildoff. This episode was edited by Marty Seefeld and me, Tara McMullen. What Works is recorded on the ancestral homeland of the Susquehannock and Conestoga people. The Yellow House is on the land of the Kutunaha Nation, as well as the homeland of the Salish and Kootenai Tribes.